I want to talk to you about a thought here for just a moment. And, and, and leading into it, before we pray today, over the last two weeks, I've been in the book of Deuteronomy. Are y'all out there? You said, Deuteronomy, I don't even know how to say that. Me neither at times. I mean, you know, I, I, obviously I can't get words correct at times too. I know that it's the fifth book in the Bible. And I can find it there at the conclusion of what's known as the Torah or the Law of the Moses. And it is an overview of the historic law that it got, God had given to Moses upon Mount Sinai. It was, again, as I told you last week, it was the, a final exhortation. Moses' life is nearing the end. This is something that if you had an opportunity to speak to the people that you love dearly to help set a, a precedent for them, to cast a little vision for them for their future without you, if you knew that you were not going to be there with them, you would kind of have a little bit of a brief exhortation and remind them of certain principles that mean a lot. And that's what the book of Deuteronomy is. And I told you last week that as I was studying, reading, meditating, listening to as well upon the book of Deuteronomy, I noticed certain things that were kind of repetitious. And by that repetition, it simply meant this meant a lot to Moses. This was very important. I mean, it's almost like, for example, that when you are driving down the highway and there's a major event that's taking place Five miles in the future. Aren't you glad that they don't wait until you're a hundred yards out before there's a sign that says bridge out, right? Or something, or, you know, but, but when they're working on the highway, whatever, that they start telling you two miles, three miles out, road work ahead, dangerous curve, uh, you know, be prepared to stop, something of that nature, correct? And so I'm grateful for this passage of scripture that we're in because it's helping us to glean and learn some things. So I want to talk to you today as I've noticed, uh, uh, I noticed that this particular theme, and I've preached from this before, I'm reminded of it today, two words, two words, get it down in your spirit, the place. Remember those two words real quickly. That's what we're going to talk about today, the place. So I'm going to ask you, would you take just a moment and pray with me, and let's add our agreement to what's been said in this room already, that the Spirit of God, Come on, I believe that. God wants to speak to you. Come on, he wants to speak to you today. And then he wants to speak through you. Right? So, Lord God, today we are grateful for this opportunity to have honored these men and women of God that mean so much to us and to our family, our of faith, our church family. And now we stand, Father God, upon the ancient tradition, the ancient tradition of sharing the Word of God, ministering one to another, Listening, I have a listening ear. The people of God have a listening ear this morning to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. Lord, their hearts are prepared. Father, and I'm going to pray as I've prayed countless times in this assembly since I've been the pastor, Father, for 18 years now. And that is, let preaching come easy in this house today. Father, I pray that the Word of God and the exhortation, Father God, would flow freely through me. That the things that I've thought about and meditated on the things that mean something to me today on Pastor Appreciation Day that I can rightly and adequately share to this church family. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, and everyone said amen and amen. Well, you're not following instruction very well. And let everyone say it. 
Amen and amen. Did you know as you say that you're following an ancient tradition that's been in the church a long and it's been with the people of God for a long, long time? Simply means so be it. And you add your expression, you can find it recorded through the Word of God. This is a day about history. Today's a day about because if you don't know where we came from, then you don't really know where you are. And if you don't know where you are, you don't know where you need to go. And so today, i got to be careful I can pull over in some ridicule towards certain things that are taking place in the White House and stuff from there. But I won't do that today for the sake of being very spiritual. Yes, yes, amen. So with this said, you know, there's something I want to say to you that are gathered here in this room. I'm preaching to you today. I am. I have a word for you, but I'm preaching through you. I'm preaching through you to a broader audience that's not always here with us. But it's a very pastoral audience, it's a, or excuse me, it's a very pastoral word to this fellowship. And it is to our greater church family, those that are watching, by, that are watching online with us right now. Anywhere from 15 to 25, even as high as 30 people while I'm typically preaching. And then there are those that are a part of our church family who are not here today. And they are not watching online. And where they are, only God knows. But I'm still preaching to them today. Because they're in my heart as I minister this word. So I want to talk to you here of this passage of Scripture, and as I do, there's a couple nuggets I want to drop down in your spirit real quickly. There's a, there's a couple things that you need to be reminded of. How many of you know God's called you to effectively minister to one another, to care and love one another? We honored pastors that have a call that's distinct and that they're shepherds, and it's visible and it's tangible, and if you've been around these men and women, you will know there is something distinct at work in their lives, but they're not the only one with the call of God on their life. They're not the only one that's called to minister and to serve. And you have a gift. And the Bible plainly exhorts you to neglect not the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Rather, to stir it up, keep it fresh, active, recognize God, put it inside you for the greater good of the people of God. Then there's another passage of Scripture. We're not reading it, but I'm just reminding you of it, where the writer of Hebrews said these words, and we've talked about this in the past. It says, forsake not. So we got neglect not. And then he said, forsake not the... The assembling of yourselves together, comma, as the manner of some is. As the manner of some is. We are at a very critical time, a very pivotal moment in the history of the American church. This backside of COVID has fragmented the church unlike anything that we have seen in the most recent time that I've been pastoring the church, pastoring within the church. And I think it's, we should be wise here to say, wait just a minute. If we're not careful, the enemy is going to fragment the church and we're going to lose our strength because our strength is found in unity. Our strength is found corporately. One can chase a 1,000. Are y'all out there? But two can put 10,000 to flight. And so we have to be very, very guarded. So as I was reading this book of Deuteronomy, and I was reminded very quickly here, something began to catch my attention. I'm going to pick it up probably at verse number four, and for the sake of time, we're going to omit a lot of this. We're just going to glean chapter number 12. So remember, I'm reading, I'm thinking about our church family, I'm praying, God's putting something in my heart. He said, you shall not do so unto the Lord your God. So what, was it, what is it that you shall not do? 
to the Lord your God. Well, when the children of Israel were to go into the promised land, remember, that's right where they're at right now. They are about to cross the Jordan River right after Moses climbs Mount Nebo and is taken by God. Uh, his life is taken or he is transfigured into the presence of God. I don't know. They still debate on what's taking place there. But nonetheless, Joshua is going to assume the leadership and they're going to cross the Jordan River and they're going to go and begin to take occupation, which means that they're going to engage the enemy, the occupants there are seven distinct nations that God has pronounced judgment upon. And you better be careful when you read the pronouncement of judgment upon those seven nations because in your empathy and your sympathy you'll think, well, how can God... If God says it's a curse, it doesn't matter if you say it's good. God said their life and lifestyle and their practices are cursed, and God had said the entire uh, seven nations are cursed. And so God had given very strict warfare instructions to the children of Israel to not only to occupy their lands, but to annihilate the people and to destroy their pagan practices. If you read the book of Deuteronomy and the other books of the law, you'll find that many of their practices in their worship of a false deity or an idol involved child sacrifice. Little children, like I'm seeing right here on the front row or the second row of the church, would be taken and offered to a pagan deity to invoke the deity to, to, to pronounce blessing upon the people. It was demonic in nature. Come on. And so God said, we're going to, we're not, this, God said, it's never even entered my mind. And the Lord said to Israel, he said, you can't do what they're doing. And what that verse 3 previously to that said, they're burning incense on every high hill. He also said that there's, there's, there's groves and different things. You see it there in the second verse. He said, you can't do that. You can't just have it here and there because look what he said in verse number five. God said, when it concerns the worship that belongs to me, this is God speaking. How many of you know God is great and greatly to be praised? And he deserves all the glory. And he's the creator and we're the creation. He deserves our worship and our adoration. And I feel privileged every time that I get to worship a living God who chose me and allows me to worship him and to be able to pour my praise upon him. The Lord said that when you get there, he said there are going to be a lot of hills and there are a lot of mountains and a lot of green trees and a lot of groves, but you're not to worship in the way that the heathen have worshipped. He said, i got a place for you that that's where I want you to go to worship. Catch those two words. Verses number five there says, but unto the what? But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there. Let's read a couple verses. Even unto his habitation shall you seek. He said, and thither, I love the King James. Come on, somebody. And thither shall you come. So when you get ready to bring the kids to church next week, you say, and thither we're going to first assembly. And thither shall you bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, six verse, and your heave offerings of your hand, and your vows, and your freewill offerings, and the firstlings of your herds, of your herds and of your flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all that you, that you put your hand into, you and your households, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed you. And notice this. I want you to see this verse 8. This is very critical. We're going to talk about this in just a moment. Is that God said, you're not to do after the, all the things that we do here this day. Every man is doing whatsoever is right in his own eyes. We're at a pivotal time in the history of the American church because it just seems to me 
as a casual observer, and that is that we're arriving at the place where our American independency has created for us a lack of accountability to the people of God. We have arrived at a place that we want to do things our way. We have no uh, submission to any type of rightful authority at times. And we have no spiritual obligation to one another. And I'm telling you, that's not the way that God has, has woven the body of Christ together. God has created an expectation. And we're going all the way back to ancient Israel where the Israelites were at risk. If they chose to worship God, even in the purest of motive, they could have said, well, we're not going to worship Molech. We're not going to worship Shemosh. We're not going to worship these pagan deities. But we're still going to burn incense on this mountain, and we're going to burn incense under this green tree. I'm going to tell you what. If you have studied the history of the nation of Israel, you will know that it was through those moments when they did not come to a central place of worship, and they worshiped the way they chose to rather than the way God prescribed for them to worship. It always led to idolatry it always led to apostasy and at the very least it will always lead to complacency God is the God that said I've got a place for you and when that place is determined at that time it was not determined to the people of Israel he said when that place is determined he said there I'm going to put my name And he said, when I put my name, he said, it's there that I want you to resort. There you're going to seek me. There you're going to find me. So the children of Israel were given very strict instructions. And if you will read the history of the nation and you'll kind of look at it through the Word of God, you will find that the place that was chosen is called Mount Zion in what we now know today as Jerusalem. And it was there, it was there that David, David himself first pitched a tent for the Ark of the Covenant Many hundreds of years later, but David on the threshing floor, the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, the scripture says that he there purchased it because in a singular moment of time, the Spirit of God quickened inside of David and said, this is the place. And it was there that his son Solomon erected the temple, and that became the place that had been foreshadowed here and prophesied of in the book of Deuteronomy. And when that place was erected, it was there that the children of Israel were called to bring their tithes, their offerings, their free will offerings, and to bring them before the Lord. You couldn't just do it any way you wanted to do it. You couldn't just say, well, I don't want to go, or I'm not going to go. Or, no, God said, if you're going to worship me, you're going to do it my way. And I'm telling you, there is something in my heart today that says, and I shared this with our pastors a few weeks ago when I was a little bit frustrated. And thank God I'm 25 years in ministry today, and I learned don't preach out of frustration. If I can't preach out of inspiration, then I don't want to stand in front of you. And so I tempered my frustration, and I let it sit until I could conquer it by the Spirit of God, until I could search over and say, God, this is not a message of reproof. This is a message message of encouragement. This is a message of saying God's got something greater for us than what we are allowing ourselves to be tricked by the enemy to saying is is an acceptable substitute for the power of corporate worship. Because I know, I know you can worship God at home. You can and you should, but it's still nothing like coming together with the people of God, uniting together in corporate worship. Did you know the assembling of the church has always been the critical point of worship from the beginning, not only here to the people of ancient Israel, but to the people 
the early church, without a building, without an edifice, they still found that when they gathered together in that moment, that became the place. There's nothing special about this place right here, 1009 West Searcy Street. There's just simply soil underneath this concrete. There's simply beyond that what might have been a little bit of topsoil that was removed. In this area is a lot of red clay. After that, there's shale. There's a lot of springs in our area. Yes, that's all here. There's nothing. The reason it's special is because a group of men and women gather together every day in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We gather together once a week or twice a week or three times, whatever the time that we gather together. And the moment that I add my faith to your faith and you add your agreement to my agreement, we reach all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 12 and we say this is the place where God has prescribed for me to worship Him and where I'm to invoke and to call upon His name and believe that God's going to be with us here. I believe in the supernatural manifestation of the presence of Almighty God that unseen to the natural eye, but that every time we come together, Jesus said, if two or three of you will gather together in my name where I put my name, he said, there I will be in the midst of you. So I believe every time we come together, we can expect that there will be a supernatural presence of the almighty God made known unto us as we worship God. Where? In the place. Isn't that right? And so as I was thinking about this pastorally, I'm just going to be transparent and honest with you. My notes here say this. It may be to you. It may be to me. But COVID has either created a new culture for the church or exposed a deficiency which was present in the American church already. <laughs> All right? <laughs> Look at verse number 8. It said, you shall not do the things that we do here this day. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. I believe in personal responsibility personal accountability it's not your job to do for me what I can do for myself no matter how good it makes you feel my first responsibility is to do the things that I'm quite capable of doing and then collectively we can help those who can't do the things that they want to do are you out there today? So in this text, see, I believe that once again, I believe that every person that is a part of the body of Christ in the sovereign will of God, God will place them in a fellowship. And when you know, and everybody has to have some room to, desert, to, to determine that for themselves, we're not the only church on the corner. Is that right? But we want to be the people that God's called us to be. Whoever he wants to fold in agreement with, let him fold into agreement. Right? There's got to be unity. If people have different doctrinal distinctives than we do, then they, though we can have fellowship with them as genuine believers, but we may not be able to worship together each and every week simply because there's doctrinal differences. But those that have doctrinal agreement, that are folded together, well, then that gives us power. Because without agreement, you can't petition God. You have to have the power of agreement. It's very, very necessary. And so I believe that every person, once you become aware, acutely aware, that the Spirit of God has placed you into a fellowship, that you have a personal responsibility to that body. And it's not that you can come to church and get something every week. It's that you can come to church every week and give 
of yourself for the overall good of the body of believers. Are you all out there today? So let me tell you real quickly. This is an observation. There is not another organization whereby members take their commitment and their accountability so lightly. Now, obviously, I'm preaching to some very faithful folk here today. So before you say Pastor Brown is shearing the sheep here today, I might be, but not the ones in this audience. Because you're faithful. Most of you. I will be truthful to you. So obviously, but there's a bigger issue at stake. There's a bigger issue at stake. So I want you to think for a moment. There's not another organization whereby members here take their commitment and accountability so lightly. Businesses. People don't just show up and then not show up. If they do, they get fired. If they do, you have breaches in the supply line. Hello? What about sports teams? If you're a coach and you don't know from day to day, game to game, who's going to be here? What about practice? Well, I don't know. Where are they at? I don't know. They just show, They come one day. They don't come the next week. I don't know. How can you have in a team? You'll have a team look like the Razorbacks yesterday. <laughs> in the church, here's where we're at. We're here today, gone tomorrow. Now, obviously, there are many pillars in the house of God, and they are faithful with every fiber of their being. And we have a future because of their faithfulness. But the reality is we're limited by other people's unfaithfulness. Man, I'm telling it whether you are shouting me down or not. God has designed his house for his glory, not for your comfort. God's designed it for his glory, not for your convenience. Our greatest threat is making our own need, our own convenience, our own preference, and our own pleasure central to our worship of God. It really then becomes more about me than him. And when we see this text of Scripture, it changes the narrative some. And we see God told ancient Israel, you can't do it simply the way that you want to do it. You've got to do it my way. And I want to tell you today, I believe if we're not careful, if we are not careful that the enemy is dividing the body of Christ to the degree even the local church is losing its strength. We're losing our ability to plan. We're losing our ability to, to anticipate something that God can do in the future because we don't know about the faithfulness of our people. And so my word to you that might be watching on Facebook Live or whoever might listen to this message at a later point in time in this course of this week, I pray to God, challenge your own self. Let me tell you for just a moment in this passage, let me show you a little bit here of this text. I won't preach to you very long today. I don't want to overstep my bounds here today. But I noticed as I read this, it kept talking about what you would bring, what you would bring. So look at verse 11 for a moment here in this text. It said, then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice vows which you vow unto the Lord. Right there. So there was this responsibility upon the people of Israel that when they got ready to make that journey from wherever they lived, did you know the nation of Israel is approximately 10,000 square miles? The state of Arkansas is approximately 53,000 square miles. So that gives you a little bit of a reference point. It's about one-fifth of the size of the state of Arkansas. And whenever they were to make their journey to the house of God, they were not to come empty-handed. They were to bring something, and it wasn't all just about, about a tangible asset. A lot of it had to do with things that were in their heart, such as their choice of vows. 
But I want to show you something here for just a moment that I saw this as I was reading this down for just a moment. And so as, as, as in verses 17 through 28 or so, the writer there of Moses begins to really give greater instruction concerning what they bring in their hand to offer before God. And I'm not going to go into all of that here today, but I want you to see a distinction at verse number 26 for a moment. We'll bring that one up, if you would, Angie. It says, only thy holy things which thou hast, and thy vows thou shalt take and go unto the place which the Lord God shall choose. Let me see if I can explain this for you for just a moment. So God told Moses, he said, there's a lot of things that you have to offer God. He said, there's some things that you have. He said, some things you don't have to leave your community to do. Some things, he said, you can do right in the gate of your own community. He said, but then there's some things that are holy. And he said, and the things that are holy, he said, you can't eat those things in the gate of your own community. He said, you got to bring them where? To the place that I've chosen. So when I'm trying to make a parallel to this, to our devotion and our worship before God, I want you to know there's a part of your worship that is common. What do you mean common? That's your personal devotion. How many know everybody needs a personal devotion? There are some things that you need to eat every day at home. There are some things that you need to read and meditate and ponder and pray and rejoice before God wherever you're home. Well, you might live in an apartment. You might live in a, in a condominium. You might live uh, you know, on a farm. You might live in a rental. It matters not. Wherever that is your home, I'm telling you what, that's the place of God's blessing for you and your family. Isn't that right? And so there, there's some things about your personal growth and maturity that it needs to happen there. Right? But then God said, there's some holy things that you can't do at home. And so I want you to know today what the danger of what's happened with COVID is that people are getting accustomed to worshiping at home with the holy things that belong here, Jojo. Now, let me tell you, let me go ahead and talk about this for just a moment if I can. Now, obviously, we appreciate an online presence. Until they shut us down for saying things that they disagree with. But for now, we're so-so. Maybe we got a future on there. I don't know. We'll figure that out as it, as it unfolds in front of us. I've thought about this before, and i found that, that I'm pastoring a lot of different people. I'm pastoring those that come every week. I'm pastoring those that just simply are not coming. And there are those that have in their minds, and this is, I will not ever argue with them about the legitimacy of their concern over COVID, of whether or not they are coming to this household or this fellowship. There are some people, for health's sake, they believe that, that, is, uh, that they just can't take that step and move in, back into worship. And I'm not trying to, to, to get into that debate here today. Many of those, many of those individuals every month, as Joe already mentioned, they write a check and they mail it into this church. What does that say to me? That says their heart is here. And so if their heart is here, their heart is here because their treasure is here. If their treasure is here, their heart is here, though their body may not be here. Right? But let me say this. I'm going to stretch myself a little bit farther. And I'm going to stretch myself in saying this. Just because your treasure is here, that's not the only gift that you have to offer. And so, yes, we thank God that people have been faithful in the giving of their tithes and of their offering. But let me tell you, I want you to know today, nothing can replace your warm handshake. Nothing can replace that hug. Nothing can replace that smile that you bring to somebody. Nothing can replace seeing you when we know your testimony and what you've been through and what you've gone through and you, you still press through it all and come to the front, lift your hands up and worship God. Nothing can replace that. 
You say, Pastor, I'm worshiping God in my home right now in my pajamas with my cup of coffee. That's good. You can see us, but we can't see you. And so in doing so, we lose something of our testimony to this community. And the enemy is using this tool to fragment the church in a way unlike anything that I've seen in my 25 years of pastoral ministry. And we got to be wiser. we got to become more guarded. There's some holy things that when you come here today, I, I believe that when you come to church, you ought to say, I'm going and I'm going to bring something. Look at that verse with me, verse 11. I'm going to start wrapping up here in just a moment for the sake of time. He said, I want you to bring a sacrifice. You hear us say all the time, when you come to this house, you don't need to come quiet. When you need to open your mouth, you need to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Lift up your voice in song and in praise. Lift up your voice in song and in prayer. We turn the entire building into a house of prayer. We, inter- we, we turn all the way to the back seat, all the way to the front altar. We turn it into a time when you literally stand up before the living God and you lift your hands before the Lord and you worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's your sacrifice of praise. So you say, Pastor, when I look back to ancient Israel, they were to bring a bullock or a goat or a turtle dove and present it unto the Lord. You know what you bring? You bring the sacrifice of praise. You bring a song. You bring a worship of adoration. You exalt the name of the Lord as you thank God that you don't carry the blood of a bullock or a goat, but that you stand before God in the clearest of consciousness before the Lord and say, God, I am so grateful. I know today that I am totally forgiven of all sin, all iniquity because of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the tree. And then you join your voice to others when we sing about the blood and we worship God in this house together. And then he said, bring your tithe, which I included your tithe, your talent, and your time. Oh, man, y'all aren't shouting down very good on that right there. But I believe in honoring the Lord by bringing something. And I pray on a regular basis, God, give me seed to sow. Give me an opportunity to be able to give into the work of the kingdom of God. But then lastly in that passage, he spoke about vows. And that's where you make a renewed commitment every week. Every week you make a renewed commitment to God in this house. Every week you gather with other men and women of like precious faith and you say, God, I want to ask you to help me to be who you've called me to be, to do what you've called me to do, and to be the person that you've called me to be. As I get ready to close so that we can go into communion in a moment, I'm skipping a few parts of this. Maybe I'll pick it up at a later date in time. Maybe you're getting the gist of it. Are y'all quick learners or slow learners? <laughs> What is it? She said, fast. All right. She said, I haven't heard this three times this weekend. So it's like, we don't even have multiple services here at First Assembly. Obviously, if a pastor of 25 years who's been preaching since he was 17, so that's 35 plus years, if I'm concerned, it's an authentic concern. And it's not because we're lacking financially. Did you know when we've come through COVID, we've came at, we've, we, we, we are higher and God's blessing and we're planning for the future. We're taking the resources that God's given to this church family through your faithful giving and we're planning for the future. So this is not a beg you to tithe message. This is not just about the tithe. This is about honoring the place because we know of the value that can happen to you and to happen to us when we choose to be faithful to the house of God. Is that right today? As I close, there's a couple other things here that I noticed here. Verse number 12, right there quickly. 
And that is, you rejoice, but you bring your family to church. Did you know when you bring your family to church, it brings stability to your family? You're talking about people that have brokenness in their home. I'm telling you, there's a lot of brokenness in our homes, in people's homes, isn't it? You know, one of the things that can begin to stabilize the home almost faster than anything is when you begin to systematically and very diligently become faithful to the house of God. Now, children will often begin to resist, especially teenagers, knucklehead teenagers, right? But I'm telling you, the one thing that they won't, they will eventually respond to, and they will eventually respond to the consistency that you show them each and every week by saying church matters. It matters. Are y'all out there today? It does. And let me tell you what, what you'll do also, though. You'll also connect your children to other men and women in the fellowship who will help you in loving them and keeping them in the fold. My life is far better because of the spiritual grandmas and grandpas, moms and dads, singles, teenagers, and children that have been in my life from many, many long years ago. Sherry and I have been pillars in the house of God for a long, long time. We didn't just start when we became pastors. And we determined that we would raise our family and bring our family and bring our children to the house of God. And I'm telling you, church family, you, I know your kids say, man, my mom and dad used to drag me to church. That's all right. So there will come a moment when those seeds that are sown are going to sprout. They're going to sprout. And when they do, I'm telling you, you're going to see that heritage of faith pass to your children and your children's children. Lastly today in this context, verse number 28. Look at this with me. It said, observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee forever. When thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord God. So as I, as I summarize this to close, God is telling Moses to tell the people of Israel that I've created and I have an expectation for your worship. And your worship can't be the way it is right now. He said it can't be every man doing what he wants to do in his right in his own eyes. God said I'm going to give you a prescribed way of worship. And through that prescribed way of worship, there's going to be a prescribed place of worship. And it then thereby becomes your responsibility to honor God by honoring that place of worship. But how many of you know the Father loves you? And, and, and he wants this to be something that is going to alter your life for the good and for his glory. And if we read that verse number 28, Moses said, if you will observe and you will hear all these words, he, what he's saying is you'll have a future. You, God will give you a vision. I tell you what, I believe at church you can discover your personal destiny. I believe at church you can discover your call and your gifting. I believe at church at an altar, some people are called to ministry, but not everybody's called to be a pastor or a preacher. But people begin to learn their careers, and God can speak to them prophetic words. Somebody, while a child or a teenager is, a, is thinking about, what am I going to be when I, gra- when I graduate? Somebody in the church can walk up behind them and lay a hand on their shoulder and just speak a prophetic word over their life that will help shape their future. Right? And if we keep them out of the house of God and we keep them away from the presence of God... I'm telling you, the enemy's going to replace that designed by God person to come, that prophetic voice, with he's going to come and he's going to send in one of his prophets and misdirect them. But God said, if you'll hear my words and do it my way, I'll give you a future. I'll give you a better day and a brighter tomorrow. 
I'll give your children hope. I'll give them the promise that tomorrow, that next year is going to be better than the year before. Come on, somebody. That I'll teach parents that, you know what, every parent should layer that the next generation of parents should be better than the generation that preceded them. The next generation of pastors that are in front of you today are going to be better than the one that's standing on the stage in front of you right now. That's the way God's always designed it, that we would pass it and push it forward. But it all starts when we honor the house of God. And we must arrive at the place in our hearts where we say, you know what? The enemy, the enemy is dividing us, fragmenting us. And he's using this thing called COVID to cause the church to lose its connection and its commitment to the house of God. And I want to ask you today, let's make a new commitment to this place. That's what, so here's what I've chosen to do. I'm wrapped up. No more preaching. I could preach for another hour on this. But I might hit frustrating and start hitting the rock. That wouldn't be rise. You don't get to go into the promised land when you do that. I don't want that for anybody. But I do say this to you, church family. Let me say it one more time. The thing that I pray for the most, for me personally, the thing that I pray the most is for understanding. I told you that before. I pray and I say, God, I'm not a scholar in any subject. I wish I was. I have decent education. I can't pronounce the words you know, accurately a lot, but that's all right. If I say it confidently, most of the time you don't know that. <laughs> so I'm not a scholar in any area. You don't have to be a scholar, though, to have understanding. Understanding can come supernaturally. Spiritually, God can just... One day, Solomon was just the son of David. And he prayed a prayer, and the next day, he was the wisest man on the planet. Because God just dropped it down on him. So that's something I pray for, and I say, God, give me understanding. I wouldn't stand in front of you today if I wasn't concerned that we're allowing the backside of COVID to do us more damage than COVID itself can do. Because the moment that we start neglecting the house of God and we start forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, then the church becomes a byword. That's all we become. You know, we'll rally together every now and then to pass food out or something like that or buy clothes or, you know, something for somebody, you know, like that. That's not what we're, we're called to be, a bright and a shining light to a darkened world. And this light is strengthened by the light that you bring collectively into this house. And so whether I'm preaching to you that are seated here today or preaching to that camera or preaching to somebody listening, I want to encourage you, make a new commitment in your heart and life to the Lord. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed in this house today.